Welcome to the Bible Idiots Podcast. I'm Emily Danielson. For those of you just finding us for the first time, my seminary-trained pastor husband and I have been ministering through broadcast and media for almost 20 years now. And during all that time, our catchphrase has always been laughing louder, digging deeper, and living larger in the Lord. Now, although the Chris and Emily show may return under a different banner later this year, the Bible Idiots brand is being developed exclusively for the digging deeper part of our ministry, which is mainly focused directly on Chris's preaching. Now, today I'm excited to share with you a message Chris developed at the end of May 2022 entitled, It's a Choice, Not Fate. And it's grounded in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am extremely confident you will be strengthened and encouraged. Here's Chris Danielson. What I was trying to say is is that as you go to prepare a message, you want to try to do a couple things. Number one, you always want to go to God and ask God, what do you want to speak through the message today? And there's a responsibility that you have to God for how you deal with standing in a place like this. And when I had a chance to speak in West Monroe, Louisiana, uh, Al Robertson was the pastor of this church along with another guy, and Phil and all the Duck Dynasty guys have all spoken there before. But when you get up behind the pulpit, there was a little something there that when you looked at your notes, it was right there. And it said, it's not about you, as a constant reminder. So when I got here and you had that pulpit that was this tall and I was standing on my tippy toes when I first got here. And uh, for those of you who are new, don't know, we, we had an administrative assistant named Megan. And Megan also works with stuff. She's the one who built this set up here. And she no longer attends this church. But while she did, she did a very loving thing for me. She built this pulpit especially just for me and gave it to me in October 2020 as pastor appreciation gift. And when she was building it, we talked about if I had a custom pulpit, what would I want? And I said I wanted a wider platform and I wanted to at least be tall enough in it, you know, come on. And then I said, I want somewhere where it says it's not about you. And after the service, you can come up here and look. It's written right here where I set my coffee cup. It says it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's about worshiping Jesus when you come together. And sometimes when we want to talk about the conditions of our world, when we want to talk about the conditions of our church family, or when we want to talk about conditions of America, we can get all caught up in ourselves and our own emotions. But what happens is, is when you really want to preach the gospel, when that is your goal, when you are dead in Christ, where he is your everything, as we're going to talk about today, It's a natural thing where it's not about you, where you try to make much of Jesus Christ. And when you go to preach a message, you use a lot of different resources. A lot of my outlines are just better than the ones I've written, so I'll use somebody else's outline. A lot of times I will glean from this person and that person and this person and try to bring it together and give you what's called fresh bread every Sunday. And the phrase that some pastors use is you you milk a lot of cows, but you churn your own butter. So in that preface, 
I'm going to share with you from the heart today some stuff. And it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ making a difference in the lives of those remnant believers in America for such a time as this. There was a recent study that was put out. Dr. Michael Brown wrote the article. And Barna got involved and a whole bunch of other people got involved that as of January 2022, the biblical worldview, an authentic biblical worldview is held by 37% of pastors. Pastors. What do you think the congregations are like if only four and a little less than four and 10 pastors actually have a biblical worldview? Now, do you guys know what an executive pastor is? In the larger churches, they have the senior pastor, they have the associate pastor, they have the youth pastor, they also have an executive pastor. An executive pastor is the one who takes care of all of the HR stuff and all of those things. In America today, and this is like thousands of churches surveyed, 4% of executive pastors hold a biblical worldview. And they're the ones who are doing the hiring right now of most of the other pastors. What does that mean? That means that the culture has so permeated the church that the church now wants to be more like the culture than they do like the Bible says the church should be. The biblical worldview that we are supposed to hold sets us apart from the world. We're an affront to the world. Jesus says they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Why? Because we say we love each other? No. Because you expose the lies of everybody else. You expose the darkness of everybody else when you live in the truth and when you live in the light. Look, if the salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? And in America today, we are watching the saltiness of the authentic church just get run down. And the Bible warns us this is coming. And the title of today's message is, It's a Choice, Not Fate. It's not fate that we are found, finding ourselves where we are. And the conditions in 2015 caused Emily and I to really start to ask God, what can we do next with our life? And I've told you before that our calling was to come to rural America, to strengthen the remnant church for such a time as this. I believe that God gave us a vision to see what was coming. And we have both articles, podcasts, broadcasts, films, and uh, Facebook posts to back up that we were pushing this direction for years before we ever met. Now, in 2008, as we're going into 2009, we did one of those self-evaluations, which I would encourage all of you to do, especially coming in light of the message you're about to hear today. The Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And in that time, we wrote a mission statement for our ministry, which was a nonprofit for a while. Now it's not. Now it's just our life. And it was this. We exist to be a part of a third great awakening in America for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, what happened? Well, we had 
a shift in culture, both political and social, that started changing that to whereby the end of 2009, we rewrote that mission statement. We wrote that mission statement to say the following. We exist to strengthen the remnant church through broadcasts, live events, and film production for such a time as this. That mission statement holds true to this day. I'll do another movie if God wants me to. I'll, I'll, we'll do more broadcasts if God wants us to. Live events, I don't feel like doing comedy anymore. I'm called to preach the gospel. This is my live event. And I will keep preaching the gospel even though next Sunday is my last Sunday here. We're, we're, we're going to keep doing it. God's already opened up other doors of, and opportunities for us. He, he is directing our path. And I want you to have your path directed as well. And the push to rural is still real for us. We believe that rural America is still the place to be. And our text, one of our texts for today is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 4. But before we get into 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to give you some simple facts on the ground in America today. The why of discipleship depth right now. Why do you need to have discipleship depth right now? It doesn't matter Pastors come, pastors go. Some people have left this church, and to be honest with you, they needed to. God called them somewhere else. Other people have left this church in error. There's no question about that. That's up for them and God to decide. But those of you who are called to be here, I'm challenging you today to stay and fight for the remnant church because God's calling you to do that. Bishop Ron is going to be taking over as interim pastor. There's a work to be done here, and God keeps confirming it over and over and over again, and it has nothing to do with me. My job was to come here for two years and do what needed to be done. You know, I've had, I've had like, what, eight or nine appointments in the last, like, seven or eight days, and most of the people are saying, we want you to stay, and it's like, yeah, I, I'd love that too, but God's made it clear that it's time to go. We don't want to sell our house. We don't want to move to a new location, although the new location that God's opened up for us is amazing, and we are just excited that this is now the next step, but it's not about us. Sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. Sometimes God calls you into places that are uncomfortable. I had another lady tell me that I'm the reason demons are coming into LifeHouse, all right. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'll lay my teaching down for the last two years against anybody in America. Go ahead, find it. Find, find the air and bring it. But if you're going to bring some weak stuff, like, you know, the old basketball analogy, you're going to bring some weak stuff in the paint, I'm going to swat it away. Oh, he doesn't listen. Yeah. Not to, not to lies. I mean, let's talk truth. The truth is, we have a Savior who loves us. We have a Savior who's forgiven us. And he's calling us to a deeper place for this time. What is this time? Well, I, I couldn't write it better than what I'm going to share with you right now. A guy named Victor Davis Hanson wrote this article last week. And it's an opinion piece that was published by the Epic Times. 
And I'm cutting out a big chunk of it, okay? Because a big chunk of it is political, and I don't want to get political from the pulpit. This is not politics. This is the condition that we all find ourselves in, in America today. This is the why of discipleship depth for right now. This is simple facts, not politicizing. You ready? Americans are now entering uncharted revolutionary territory. They may witness things over the next five months that one would have seemed unimaginable. In traditional bedrocks of American system, the traditional bedrocks of, of, of American system, a stable economy, energy independence, vast surpluses of food, hallowed university, a professional judiciary, law enforcement, and a credible criminal justice system are dissolving. Some of them have dissolved. They're dissolving right in front of our eyes, and we can't stop it. Hansen goes on. Gas and diesel prices are hitting historic levels. Inflation is a 40-year high. New cars and homes are unaffordable. The necessary remedy of high interest and tight money will almost be as bad as the disease of hyperinflation. There is no southern border. Expect more than one million foreign nationals to swarm the United States this summer without audit, COVID testing, or vaccination. None will have any worry of consequences for breaking U.S. immigration law. Police are underfunded and increasingly defunded. District attorneys deliberately release violent criminals without charges. Literally 10,000 people witnessed comedian Dave Chappelle on stage being attacked by a deranged man with a knife at the Hollywood Bowl two weeks ago. And the Los Angeles County DA refused to press felony charges. Murder and assault are spiraling. Carjackings and smash and grab thefts are the normal in big city events. It's normal. Crime is now mostly a political matter. Ideology, race, and politics determine whether the law is even going to be applied. Supermarket shelves are thinning, and sometimes meats now are beyond the budgets of millions of Americans. An, an American president, the very first in history, casually warns of food shortages. Baby formula has disappeared from many shelves. There is no free speech anymore on campuses. Merit is disappearing. Admissions, hiring, promotions, retention, grading, and advancement are predicated increasingly on mouthing right orthodoxies or belonging to the proper racial, gender, or ethnic category. Everything I'm sharing with you is fact from this Hansen article. When the new campus officials finally finish absorbing the last redoubts in science, math, engineering, medical, and professional schools, America will slide into permanent mediocrity and irreversible declining standards of living. What happened? Remember, all these catastrophes are self-induced. They are choices, not fate. And I'm here to tell you today, Choices, it's the same as your walk with Christ. Yes? I have taught about justification and sanctification. Justification, you can't add one ounce to it. You can't do anything to get one more ounce of forgiveness from Jesus Christ. Your very best you can do is as filthy rags in front of a holy God. You're justified by Jesus Christ. You're born again. You're saved. Now what? Now comes sanctification. Now you grow in the Lord. 
And as you grow in the Lord, there's one thing that happens to almost all of us. I want to say all of us, but you know, there's always an exception to the rule, and that's what people seem to harp on as soon as they can find it. So almost all of us, we have this desire to want to share that. All of us are starving to death, and I come back here and see that God just dropped a huge buffet table of food. What do I do, pull the curtain and eat it myself? Or do I say, hey, everybody, look what God did. So now you want to go out and you want to share the gospel. Now you want to share Jesus with others. Now you want to grow in your knowledge with him. Now you want to spend more time with him. Now you, you want to understand the power of prayer. And, you, and the word of God is like the unleashed tiger on the soul. And then you look at where we are in the world today, in America today. And you come to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's read verses 1 through 5 together. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? That means it doesn't matter what somebody thinks of you. It doesn't matter whether your church is growing or people are leaving. It doesn't matter whether it's snowing outside or raining outside. There's not a preaching season. It's all the time. In other words, what Paul's saying here is always, no excuse, preach the gospel. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 37% of pastors in America hold a biblical worldview because of this right here. Verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And a lot of Christians today wander off into exaggerations. Abortion. Well, what about rape and incest? You answer that question with the following question. So you're saying that all other abortions then are wrong? Just you want to talk about those two? You'll admit that before we talk about those two, rape and incest? And you watch people just get all mad. No, because that is their excuse to try to justify everything else. Exaggeration, wandering off into myths, forgetting the truth. As for you, verse 5, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What is your ministry? If you know Jesus Christ, you have one. What is it? And then if you got one, do it. Mine is broadcast live events, film production for the glory of Jesus Christ to strengthen the remnant church for such a time as this. And the live events is pastoring a church, and I believe in rural America. That hasn't changed. Just because this particular calling is coming to an end and God used me in certain ways, it's time to move on. There's another church in rural America that wants me to be their pastor. We'll be fine. Suffer like a good servant. What's, what's our suffering? Our suffering is having to sell a house. We just got almost finished redoing a lot of it. That was going to be our home for the next 13 years, at least. What's your suffering? Being our age, having to move again, is a very big problem. 
challenge for us. It's going to really bite. But in the world of suffering, it's pretty weak, isn't it? I mean, tell that to the widow whose person just passed, whose spouse just passed away from stage four cancer yesterday. Or the family that just lost a teenager in a car accident last night. Tell them that, well, you got to move again. Some would say, it's a real thing, Chris. It's real stress, and you and Emily are really going to suffer through it. And others are going to say, buck up, you wuss. You're just moving for crying out loud. You've done it a dozen times in the past. I'm going to miss a lot of you, and a lot of you are going to miss me. But here's the answer. I'll be doing my ministry. I'll be fulfilling my ministry. I'll be doing the work of evangelist. I will be sober-minded. I will always stand on the truth. I will not turn from myths. And I will not allow itching ears people to get me down. We will go forward and we will be truth. What about you? When you're doing your ministry, I'll be just as cheerleading you on. I'll be your biggest fan. And with social media and everything else, I still got friends in Arizona and in Michigan and in Alabama, all the places we've been. I hope that we have some here in Kansas too. Well, I know we're going to have some in Kansas. Some of you we've met with, we've broken bread together, we've done things, and you're family now. And we're going to party together in the New Jerusalem. You know? See, what this passage tells us in, in one way, shape, or form, is that everybody wants the truth until they get it. The truth is, is if we are surrendered to Christ, and Emily and I are living the DPC, the dead person's charter, which I explained to you, we might have to move every 30 days for the rest of our life till we're 80 years old, and that might be God's will for us. For some of you, you have expressed this, and I believe you, your will is to never move. You're here forever. This is where God has you, and you need to find your ministry, fulfill your ministry, execute your ministry, and do it with the love of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Sometimes the truth isn't everything that we want. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. I want to follow my heart. My dreams are so important to me. Well, my dream was to move to Abilene, Kansas and stay here for 15 years. And God said, <laughs> you said you wanted to serve me in truth. We're moving on, bud. That doesn't mean I you know, hold a grudge against anybody. And I don't want you to hold a grudge against me. It is what it is. We got here because we made choices. Here we are. It's not fate. It's a choice. The great theologian Mike Tyson once said, the best line I've ever heard in my life when it comes to actually serving Jesus. You ready? Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Anybody remember Mike Tyson in the 80s and 90s? I mean, can you, ima can you imagine, I mean, arms the size of legs just coming at you with those 100-mile-an-hour swings? Remember Michael Spinks? He almost broke his neck. But everybody had a plan until they get punched in the face. It's the same way with Christianity. All of us have a plan to fulfill our ministry until we get punched in the face. Then what do we do? Well, I call it the Buster Douglas plan. You fight back. The only man who ever stood and fought Mike Tyson was a journeyman fighter named Buster Douglas. Look it up. It's one of the greatest fights in boxing history for those of us who love the sweet science. We must 
fight back. And what do we fight against? I've told you, and I know you know it, and you've heard it. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the prince and powers of the air. And what's our number one weapon? Prayer. When we lose prayer, y'all defenseless. I don't know how that all works, but it does. A.W. Tozer said this when he talked about finding your ministry and fighting. This is from his book, The Price of Neglect, page 141. You ready? He springboards off verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4, where he says, Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Here's Tozer's response. I cannot believe in the spirituality of any Christian, any Christian man or woman, who keeps an eye open for the approval of others, whoever that may be. The man after God's own heart must be dead to the opinions of his friends as well as his enemies. If you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 3 for later. He must be as willing to cross important persons as obscure ones. He must be ready to rebuke his superior as quickly as those who may be beneath him on the uh, eschological ladder. To reprove one man in order to gain favor with another is no evidence of moral courage. It is done in the world all the time. Did you catch that? We'll never be where we should be in our spiritual lives until we are devoted to Christ that we ask no other thing other than his smile, his being Jesus. When we are wholly lost in him, him being Jesus, the frantic effort to please men will come to an end. The circle of persons we struggle to please will be narrowed to one. Then we will know true freedom, but not a moment before. Not a moment before. And so what happens? You and I start down that path. And we, all, we always automatically, without fail, will start to have some opposition rise up. Some of them are just little natty things. Others are, you know, maybe the spiritual barking dog in your face. Others can be going down a dark alley and running into four or five thugs who you know are going to rob you and probably beat you within an inch of your death or kill you, spiritually speaking now. So you focus on Jesus. You focus on Jesus, that whole, uh, come to Jesus. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. That is false. He's got a wonderful plan for your eternity, and he will take care of you through this life. But you just may have to suffer here. Things might get worse for you when you come to Jesus. Worldly speaking. That's why you give up the world. And so you start looking in God's word. You start looking for comfort. You start looking for God to speak to you. And then you come across something that's in Psalm 23. He anoints my head with oil. Let's look at verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Anybody here ever wonder what anoints my head with oil means? I know I did. So I always wondered, was it figurative language? Was it just, you know, God keeping the psalmist healthy? And I never knew this parallel. I want to share it with you. Sheep can get their head caught in briars and die trying to get untangled. 
They're horrid little flies that like to torment a sheep by laying eggs in their nostrils, which turn into worms, and drive the sheep to beat their head against the rock, sometimes all the way to death. Their ears and eyes are also susceptible to tormenting insects. So what does the shepherd do? The shepherd anoints their whole head with oil. Then there's peace. That oil forms a barrier of protection against the evil that tries to destroy the sheep. Do you have times of mental torment? Do worrisome thoughts invade your mind over and over? Do you beat your head against the wall trying to stop them? Have you ever asked God to anoint your head with oil? Highly encourage you to do so. Ask him to anoint your head with the spiritual oil. His oil is an endless supply. His oil protects and makes it possible for you to fix your heart, mind, and eyes on him today and always, even in the midst of trials and circumstances. There is peace in the valley. May our good Father anoint your head with oil today so that your cup then overflows with blessings. God is good and he is faithful. That doesn't mean that everything's going to work out. Name it and claim it. Buy a new car. Pick a new carpet. That's not what this means. You know what this means? This means that if you have a situation in your life, I don't know, let's maybe find something obvious. Like maybe you're forced to move to a new town when you don't want to. You can fill in the blank for you. It's well with you. It's well with you because your head is anointed with oil, covered with oil, protecting you, his oil. How else should we choose? How else should we choose something that's not fate? How then should we live? Well, it says to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at it. Verses 15 through 18, chapter 5. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Oh, that's a challenge for me. I got to be honest with you. Some of the evil that we've had come our way, I've actually had prayers. Get them, God. Just get them. Kumbaya. Get them, Lord. Kumbaya. Haven't gotten them yet, Lord. Come on. I told you the story. I haven't told you the details of the story, and I probably never will because they don't matter. But I had somebody steal $8,500 from me one time. Stole it. And, and did it in a way where he actually said God told him to. This was a settlement that was supposed to be 30000 and we negotiated it down to eight. And then he said, he's basically challenging me to sue him. And I've never had a lawsuit on my record, and I, I don't want to. And I really wanted to forgive him, but I, I couldn't. And I started praying without ceasing. I started just asking God over and over, Lord, show me the way. And one day I was praying and I actually asked God, can we throttle this dude, please? And I'm going to paraphrase. When the Spirit speaks to me, he doesn't speak so audibly that I can quote him word for word. But he told me this. I swear to you, he said this. God told me, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, all right, let's get him. I'll even help you. And we'll do it tomorrow. But then don't you ever claim my name because I don't roll that way. And I was forced to forgive in my heart. There's been reconciliation, a lot of it. In fact, even other projects took place after that. 
And in my heart, I don't believe that I could have even been anything the last five years, six years without that forgiveness. I didn't even have it in me to forgive, but God gave it to me. And it came out of a desire that I want him more than I want my pound of flesh. Now, that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes and go after the pound of flesh. But if you are a Christian and God opens your eyes while you're praying without ceasing, you will repent of that and you will come back to Jesus and you won't roll that way no more. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Verse 16, rejoice always. 17, pray without ceasing. 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't even have to preach anything. You don't have to write anything to that. You just read that. That's, that's the message. So what does pray without ceasing mean? That we become monks? That we just anoint our head with ashes and we sit prostate all day every day? No. It means that as you go about your day-to-day things, as you're doing your work-a-day things, as you're busting suds at the sink, as you're picking a TV show, as you're driving in the car, as you're getting coffee, as you're doing these things, you're in constant communication with God because he's your everything. In the movie Bible Idiots, Johnny Erickson Tata makes the case that you don't give thanks for all things, for all circumstances, but in those circumstances, you give thanks. And she always says, I'm not thankful I'm in this wheelchair, but in this wheelchair, I'm giving thanks for other things, that there's a sunny day, that she still can chew her food. You get what I'm saying? It's in that thankful heart, you're praying without ceasing. It's the will of God and Christ Jesus in you. Back to A.W. Tozer in the book men who met god pages 46 and 47 about first thessalonians chapter 5 he he said this listen i know you might not be a preacher but you have a ministry And some of you have the ministry to stay here in this building on 2nd Street in Abilene and make something for the kingdom because God's calling you to do that. But listen to what he says about this preacher, which could be any of us, okay? I knew an able preacher greatly used of the Lord in evangelism and Bible conferences. He was a busy, busy man. There came the occasion when someone frankly asked him, Doctor, tell us about your prayer life. How do you pray? How much do you pray? The man was embarrassed as he replied, I must confess to you something I have not confessed before. I do not have time to pray as I used to. My time alone with God has been neglected. Not too long afterwards, that preacher sustained a serious failure. It brought his ministry to an abrupt end, and he was put on the shelf. If we want to be honest with God, we will take solemnly, solemnly the admonition to pray without ceasing. God's work on this earth languishes when God's people give up their ministries of prayer and supplication. I cannot tell you why this is true, but it is true. And I'm with Tozer. I can't tell you why it's not true or why it is true, but it's true. When we neglect prayer, It is the same thing as building a race car, painting it with the best sponsors, putting the best safety equipment in it, 
brand new tires, $100,000 motor, rolling it to the track, knowing that it should hit 150 miles an hour on this track, and you don't put any fuel in it. And you stand there dumbfounded why it's not running. Last scripture and we're done today. It's not on the screen. I added it because I just think you need to hear this. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Immerse yourself in these two words, or these two verses. Because there is a time coming that is here where being a Christian in America may cause you great harm. Certainly will have you not get any kind of job that you might want. Can you imagine being a sports broadcaster and a Christian right now, a, a vocal Christian? You think you're going to get hired at ESPN? Not a chance. That's a far cry from 10 years ago, five years ago. But it's on. The cancel culture, they call it. There's all kinds of different names for it. But you as an authentic born-again Christian, you have a mark on you. And in that world of you've got to be willing to take the hit if you're going to share the gospel, Paul was in prison much and suffered much for sharing the gospel. So in Romans chapter 1, he writes the following words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's this really cool thing that God did, because it's this thing that we really like. No. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. That means people are going to not totally get it. So you're telling me uh, a Jewish carpenter said he was God's son and that he would die to redeem the world. And my intellectual, you know, intellectual being, I can't buy that. Or there's all kinds of different things when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's, here's another way to put it. If you have a worldview that you're, there is a God and you want to work your way up to him, there are hundreds of religions that will pacify you and make you feel better so you can go to sleep tonight. Okay? But there is only one that demonstrates the power of God, where God works his way to us. And it's called the gospel the good news, and I am not ashamed of it because it is God's power for salvation for me. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then it says this, ready? From faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 17, one more time. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you want to know another way to paraphrase that in America in 2022? You ready? Do you believe what you believe is really real? Because if you do, you'll put God first in your life and you will, you will work yourself over time in the spirit, praying without ceasing to find ways to put God first in your life. It'll be hard to eat a meal without giving thanks for it. It'll be hard to drive down the road and not have thoughts about, you know, with God about different things. 
It'll be hard when you want that pound of flesh when someone's hurt you and you just, and you're in that spirit, you're kind of thinking and praying without ceasing, and now you just have this heartbreak for them. Your heart breaks for them because of what choices they've made. The choices that they've made to hurt themselves spiritually and therefore to hurt the kingdom. And many of them get put on the shelf. Or worse, they don't get put on the shelf. They actually go on then and make a bunch of more false converts around the country, which I've seen in droves over the last 10 years. My goal, as I depart from you next week, is that everything that God has ever wanted me to share with you that I did, where I can stand knowing that I did the best with the hand I was dealt. And I feel that way. I have a lot of peace, a lot of sadness, a lot of joy. I mean, some of the people that I've talked to, some of them, more than one, have had tears in their eyes about how God has used our ministry, our feeble little weak efforts the last two years, and they have grown tremendously in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the ones I think about. Set your mind on those things that are above, not the things here on earth, says the scripture. What's above? A guy who used to be pretty rough with tears in his eyes saying, that God has used Lifehouse Church and the ministry of Chris Danielson to strengthen him in his walk. And now he stands boldly looking for his ministry, looking to be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but living in the power of God for his salvation. I'm good. Rent the U-Haul, I'm good. And he's not alone. There's, a, there's dozens more. Praise God. That's what we are about. And I'm here one last time. Next week, I have no idea what I'm going to preach. I'll probably just get up and say, God bless you, and leave. I don't know. No, I, I, I never, you don't, you don't got to wind me up very hard to get me to share the word with you. Don't leave. If you leave, you make sure, you make sure you heard from God. Otherwise, the remnant that's here, and there are some people that aren't here because of Memorial Day weekend, but there's enough here. Bishop Ron's coming to be your interim pastor. There is a plan. There's a work. There's something that's going to happen. Don't leave. If this is your ministry, set your face like flint and trust Jesus because you will get punched in the face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your bride, your church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the facilities. It's not the denomination. And Lord, you love your bride. Let us love your bride as well. Let us look into your eyes as humble servants who believe what we believe is so real, so really, really real that we will stand firm and not be moved. Lord, we can't do that. We don't have the strength to do that. We need your power to even do that. We need your strength to even do that. Let us call upon you again and again and again.
And may you strengthen this body collective. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Chris Danielson. If you were impacted by the Bible Idiots podcast, tell your friends and share this media outreach. To connect with us, go to BibleIdiots.com and look in the left-hand corner and you'll see our direct email address. We'd love to hear from you. Also, follow Bible Idiots on Facebook or subscribe to Bible Idiots on Telegram Messenger. Until next time, I'm Emily Danielson.